We are hurting people, and we live in a hurting world. Hurting is natural, but forgiveness is supernatural. It's God's invention to heal our broken, bleeding world. And that's the journey that we're on today. We're learning to recall the way that we were hurt in a different way. And then I want to talk today more about empathizing with the person who offended us. And I want to say this when we talk about this. Um, forgiveness, contrary to popular opinion, actually requires a lot of courage. I was talking to a good friend yesterday who just the previous day, he's been working on forgiveness and said, there's this guy, I've been mad at him. Uh, I need to meet with him. I've got issues of forgiveness to work through. And he realized when he was going to meet with the guy, it's not just that that guy had done things he was mad at, but he had not been a good friend of that guy. He had not had conversations with that guy because he just wanted to avoid it. So he actually had to do some apologizing. And then that turned out to be really difficult. And then he found himself thinking, what I want to say is, I treated you badly, but it's your fault. If you hadn't done stupid things, I would never have treated you badly. So you deserve it. And of course, that's not actually... Um, owning his side of it. So this journey of forgiveness takes a lot of courage. It is not something that we do out of fear or weakness. It takes a lot of honesty. It's often quite complex. Part of what it involves is um, seeking to put myself in the place of the other person, the person who hurt me, so that I can see that person as a human being. We see this often in Scripture, but the ultimate example of it, of course, comes from the one who is our guide and our teacher, Jesus. Maybe the most evil action that has ever been done in history is the crucifixion of the most good and innocent person who ever lived. And in the Gospel of Luke, we're told about this extraordinary statement that Jesus makes. We're living in a day when, again, a lot because of what's going on in the Holy Land, in Jesus' home country, and unbelievably barbaric acts, we're reminded of what human beings are capable of, and forgiveness is getting out of the softer, abstract category. Jesus was being crucified. That is the most humiliating, cruel, barbaric form of death that was known. And he's surrounded by people who do not deserve to be forgiven. This is what it says in Luke. The crowd is gathered there. People stood watching, and they're the ones who had said to Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. And the text says, and the rulers even sneered at him. And those are the religious rulers, or the, the people that claim to know God. And the soldiers also came up and mocked him. So these are the Romans. There's a whole other set of enemies. And then one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. He is surrounded by enmity and hatred as he is being tortured and killed and Jesus' statement is, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Now, I'd be tempted to think, well, sure, they know what they're doing. They're giving in to vindictive, evil, hateful emotion. But he's thinking about each one of them. And there is some deep sense in which for any of us, when we do wrong, because we are human and we are finite, we will have our own reasons for doing it, but we do not see, we don't understand. doesn't mean that we're excused or that it's justified. Jesus is putting himself in the place of the people who are hurting him, and he is issuing forgiveness for them, even though they are not repentant. I want to tell you a story about a real-life person that did that, because choosing forgiveness heroes is an important part of this journey for us. 
One of the most memorable breakfasts I've ever had, Nance and I had it together with a woman named Mary, Mary Johnson. She lives back in the Midwest. This is several years ago now. And she lost her only son. He was killed. He was shot at a party. And the man who shot her son was caught and tried. She is a daughter of the church. Mary is. And at the trial, she said all the right things, said, I forgive him. I'm a Christian. But really, anger and resentment and unforgiveness for understandable reasons were eating away at her. We've talked about the difference between the decision to forgive and emotional forgiveness that gets into us at the body level. She was part of a church, but the pastor of the church told her that really the reason that her son died was that she didn't pray for him enough. And she ended up leaving that church. I think that was a good call. People would sometimes say to her as the years passed, and she found herself unable to reconcile herself to this. You still wrestling with that? You got to get over it. After 12 years, one of the um, moving moments for her came when she heard a poem, and it's about two women who meet in heaven, and they are both moms. And one of them is the mother of Jesus. She talks about how I would have taken his place when he died if I could have. And then she asked the other woman, and whose mother are you? And that woman was the mother of Judas Iscariot. And somehow that scenario, that poem, that picture of those two moms and the possibility of forgiveness and reconciliation kind of pierced Mary. And this strange thought came, I would like to meet the man who killed my son. So she contacted the Department of Corrections. This is after 12 years of a journey. And they explained to her, you know, uh, it was a 16-year-old boy who killed your son. He's been in prison now for 12 years. You're going to meet a different person. This is a man who has been hardened. And she said, I want to meet with him. So they went to him. His name was O'Shea. And uh, he didn't want to meet with her. He said, she's just going to blame me. Why should I meet with her? But nine months later, she still wanted to do it. She came back to the department and they went back to him and he said, okay. So Mary described to me um, going to the prison. She had a friend, Regina, and she had to walk up this ramp. She said, I don't think I could have made it up the ramp. Regina was pushing me up that ramp. And she walked into that room and then they brought this man, O'Shea, that killed her son. She thought a lot about her first sentence and what she said was, I don't know you, you don't know me. Let's start there. And somehow that sentence, that idea that she wasn't going to begin by blaming or hating, but just by acknowledging neither of them knew each other and being willing to talk, um, struck O'Shea very deeply. And so he decided he would engage. And they talked for hours. They discovered the other person was a human being. And at the end of that time, O'Shea did a very unexpected thing. He asked Mary if he could hug her. And she said yes. And when this man who killed her son put his arms around her, the floodgates burst. And Mary said she started to sob so hard she couldn't stop. She would have just collapsed if he was not holding her up. And O'Shea said he had been in prison with hardened criminals for 12 years. This was the scariest moment he had ever had. And she began to visit him more often, and they became friends. 
When he was released in 2009, she decided to have a welcome party for him. So she got together with, there were some nuns. She lives in the inner city in the Twin Cities. Nuns, they call them the sisters in the hood. And so they threw a big party and Mary's landlord, she has a little apartment there, had an idea. He said, what if you were to invite O'Shea to live in the apartment next door to yours? And her first thought was, there's no way that would never happen. He would never do that. But eventually she prayed about it and she did. So when we had that breakfast, Mary and O'Shea, the mother of a murdered son and the man who killed him, and Nancy and me, they lived next door to each other in two little apartments. And O'Shea said, you know, there'll be times when I just want to give up on myself. But I look at her and I think, if she didn't give up on me, I can't give up on me. So, I want to invite you today, right now, think about someone who has hurt you. Think about a hurt that you carry. And remember this, uh, everybody has reasons for what they do. And to understand somebody is not to excuse them. It's not to justify what they did. But it is to recognize that they're a human being. And if I had been raised the way that they were raised, if I myself were in their position, I have no idea what I would do. I am fully capable, I believe, of doing things as evil as anybody if my genes and my environment and my upbringing had been what somebody else's had been. So I pray and ask, God, would you help me to view this person as a human being, would you help me to understand better what might have been going on in their mind when they did that thing that I found to be so hurtful? Would you help me to approach that as a fellow human being? You know, for Mary, part of the difficulty of the journey was she had to ask the question, if I really seek to understand how the fight that resulted in my son's death looked from the perspective of this other man, will I be disloyal to my son? Does that mean that I would be doing something to him, kind of betraying him, because now I'm listening to the person that had a fight with him? And she had to walk through the process of, what does it mean to be willing to understand the person who took so much from me? And for O'Shea, man, I have to be willing now to look at what I robbed this woman of and how different, empty, more painful her life has been because what I have done, where before I could just blame the other person for uh, being mean and disrespectful to me in that moment. And then all of this, we go back to that moment on the cross. There's a reason why the cross is at the center of human history and why forgiveness and the hope of reconciliation may not be possible, but the hope of it is at the center of all things. Maybe the greatest sentence that's ever been uttered, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Give us our debts as we forgive. Thanks for joining us. At Become New, we want to grow spiritually one day at a time, but it's tough to do that alone. So we're offering a little more support for anyone who would like to work on putting the content into practice. You can sign up to receive a text at the end of each week in this series, asking if you completed the here's how portion for that week. If you want, you can reply to the text and let us know how it went, or if you need prayer in taking those action steps. To sign up for the end of week reminder, just text the word MORE 
to 855-888-0444 and we'll put you on the list. As always, to receive the emails or video links by text, you can let us know at becomenew.com slash subscribe. If you're already signed up for the emails but aren't getting them, try checking your spam folder or better yet, you can add us to your contact list. Our email address is connect at becomenew.com. If you need prayer, we're here for you. Text your specific prayer request to 855-888-0444. There's a team of us who meet each weekday to pray specifically over every person who sends a text in. We'll catch you next time.